You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lethub.com. Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Jen Morris. Hello? Hello, yes. Can you hear me? Hello, John. Is this you? Yes, it is. Oh, th- what, the, what is happening? Who are I, you? I, I, I don't know who I am. I am someone who adores you, John. It's, it's Paul. Oh, thank you. It's Paul Holdengraber calling you on this phone call from Paul, and I had the, the hardest time getting through to you. And uh, strange, I, yes. And I'm, I'm choosing not to read this as a sign of anything, but the fact that we're technologically um, challenged at this moment. Are you speaking for yourself or for the European side of the ocean? I am speaking from from Manhattan, and I I'm I'm sorry to to reverse the charges to you. Please forgive me. I'll try to be succinct. <laughs> I don't know for charge as much as you like. Well, you you know that that neither of us is is particularly succinct. We I think we both share one passion, um, many passions, but one in particular, which is for the exclamation point or the exclamation mark. Absolutely, yes, of course. I'm the number one, at least, but you're welcome to be number two. What What do you like about the exclamation mark, or do you say exclamation point? I say exclamation mark, but I like it, of course, because it's so adaptable. It, it's like a tone of voice, isn't it? You can use it in so many different ways. You can use it as a laugh. You can use it as an exclamation of horror. There are all sorts of different ways. But, but isn't, it the, isn't, isn't it the case, though, Jan, that it is considered... Um, a wrongful usage of, uh, I don't know if it's grammar, or your, uh, wrongful usage of style to use a lot of exclamation marks, and yet I think you and I, and in your case, you know, you're, you're a real extraordinary writer, you use it uh, liberally and with great appetite. Of course, style is what you make of it or what you want of it. What you believe in it, isn't it? Yeah. All of them. They don't think it's stylish. I do. <laughs> yeah, it's as simple as that. And, and in a way, um, you know, the exclamation mark is a, a perfect way of talking about the phone call. Do you still make a lot of phone calls? Because on a phone, you, you can hear the grain of the voice, and the grain of the voice is like an exclamation of sorts. Yes, it is. You mean as against an email? Yes, as, as an email or text or, or um, Skype or all kinds of ways in which we now speak to other people. I think the phone is a very intimate way of speaking to people while maintaining a certain distance. That's one good thing about it. But one bad thing about it is that a lot of people are self-conscious when they're talking on the telephone. And so the image of them that comes over isn't a true one. Whereas if they're sending an email, well, it, it is them, isn't it? It's just words. But when people somehow on the telephone... They talk in a different way, in sort of false way. But it's not an important thought, I know. Do you, do you use it a lot, the phone? Do people call you a lot? Yes, yes, I do. We're very old-fashioned here. It's, I, I, I love that. Do you mean when you say we're very old-fashioned here, you mean in, in Wales where you live? Yes, <laughs> I do. Mm. And, which you, and which you still adore? Of course. 
Mm, not particularly, no. Yeah. Mm. Um, Jan, what, what am I interrupting now? And I, I know you were awaiting my call and I'm calling you a little, or you called me a little later because of the problems we had. But what are you in the middle of doing? Well, I tell you, um, in my old age, I've determined to, I've never written a diary in my life. And I thought when I became 90, I, I thought I was going to begin this habit of writing down a thought every day, a thought diary. And today, the thought I have is about clouds. Clouds? Are you with me? Can you hear yeah. me? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I am with you. About clouds, and what, ab what about the clouds? Well, I used to dismiss clouds as not a true integral part of the beauty of things because they weren't permanent. You know, they'd go, they'd fit right. And so I thought they weren't true beauty. They were sort of sham, temporary beauty, so I dismissed them, really. And so I didn't awfully like pictures that had clouds a lot in them because so I thought it was, it was inadequate to, as part of the expression of natural beauty. So is it an aphorism... Right, I changed my mind. Is it an aphorism every day, in a sense? A what, a what is it? Is it an aphorism or a uh, some some theme every day that you choose? Oh, what I'm writing? Yes. It is. Absolutely, yes. But it's something totally different than every day of the year, yes. Mm. Can you give me a, a couple more examples just to whet my appetite? Yes, yes. Uh, hang on, I'll just get the next one up. Oh, the last one was a violent, a passionate attack upon zoos. Zoos? Yeah. Zoos, zoological gardens. You know, zoos. Yeah, yeah. Upon the imprisonment of all living creatures without any cause whatever, without any hope of justice, or without any appeal, and then, most awfully of all, to have children taken to zoos to look at these creatures behind bars. That's it's one of the most awful things of human nature, human behavior at the moment. And they, they make you very sad, zoos. Um, you know, I once read a, a beautiful essay by John Berger, who is also turning 90 this year, um, one month after you. I think you turn 90 on October 2nd. Yes, right. And you know, that's, that's such an important birthday for me, because it's a birthday of two people I love. One is my father, who recently passed away, and the other one is you. You share his birthday, and I remember when, during his lifetime, I would often give him a book of Jan Morris so that you, we, could, we could have a double celebration, as it were. Uh. Did he actually read it? I, you know, I think he read, he read some. Um, he wasn't a great literary reader, so I think he read more, um, you know, your, your essays about your travels. Um, I think I read to him or had him read what I think is, may still remain your favorite book. And I wonder if it is, and maybe I can just ask you, my favorite book of yours, though, I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to say such things because I feel that I prefer so many things that it's hard sometimes for me to settle on one. But your book on Trieste means the world to me, to me, Trieste and the meaning of nowhere. And I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to telling them, rush out and get 
Trieste and the meaning of nowhere. Yes, it is Venice. Yes, it is Oxford. Of course, it is Conundrum. Yes, it are the great novels. Yes, it are the great essays about Manhattan. But you must read this book about Trieste. And of course, it will be one more book later that nobody has read, which everybody will read. But we will postpone that moment for as long as we can. That's my favorite of my books. Yeah. Does it remain so? Yes, it does, because I haven't really written a book of that length since then. I've done collections since then, I've done essays, but I haven't written a proper book. That really is my final book. The, the Trieste book. Probably for that reason, but I also thought it was the best one I'd ever written. Yeah, and it, it's it's a what what do you think? I mean, it, I'm I'm sure it doesn't have to do with lengths, but what is it about the book about Trieste that that somehow um, clicked, that made it feel for you like your beloved child, your most loved of all children, insofar that we can have one. Yes, it's because I think it's because I see myself in it. I see, it's an important thing to say, I see it a bit in me. Right. See what I mean? Yeah. I think we share characteristics with the result that I've always felt at home and at ease there. And, and, and if, if one were so bold as to ask you, what, what are those characteristics? Well, we're hybrids, both of us, Trieste and I. You know, obviously, we're not one place. We've changed ourselves in the course of our histories. Yes, I've done it five or six times. I've just done it once. Right, and when you when you, when you mean change, you mean the passage from James to Jan. In my case, yes, mm. absolutely. Do you do you sometimes imagine who you would have become had you not made that change? Absolutely not, because I am me. I right. don't feel a different person at all. So indeed, I don't think I am really. So you you never you never imagine had I not had the um, I don't know what it is that you needed to 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 change in that way but that that uh, commitment maybe or a, a certain for I don't even know that you would say it was a certain form of courage would you No because I felt I had no choice and I, the compulsion strange as it was and inexplicable to me you know, it, it, it remains perhaps one of my favorite passages ever, those first few pages of Conundrum, where you talk about being under the piano. Yes. And Jan, I, I think there's nobody who has written about a sense of wanting to be something else or being the person you really are better than you have there. Somehow one feel I, I can see, though of course I can't really, but I can sort of feel and nearly see the piano under which you decided, I don't want to be a man, I want to be a woman. Yes, uh, I can too. The, the, the underneath of that piano is still a very vivid to me. Right. The smell of the wood, as a matter of fact, after all these years. But it wasn't exactly a question I want to be. Something else, it's just that I thought I... Ought to be. You see what I mean? It wasn't a desire, it was a, com a compulsion. Right. And it remains to me, as it always has been, as I've said a million times, not least in that book, that it's a mystery to me. I don't understand why it was. And I don't believe it's purely sexual. It's something more than that. <laughs> 
And and in 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 a sense, it may be true that you want to to keep it a mystery. I don't mind. <laughs> but you don't, you don't really want to know much more. I don't want to explore it any deeper. No, I really don't. In, in in these years now since we've seen each other and and it's much too long and I really would like to someday make that trip you you invited me to to come and visit you in your home. Please I, do. I I feel Jan that I've been there through the telling and retelling and re-retelling of Simon Winchester talking about the moment when he arrived at your home. He told it again, Jan, I want you to know, a couple of years ago when he was invited to the Sun Valley Writers Conference where so many people discovered your work for the first time, belatedly, but now with great passion. And he told the story of his arrival and it was so beautiful and people really so cared for you there in, in Idaho of all places. <laughs> isn't isn't that marvelous? Yes, mind you, he's a very very good friend of mine, and and he remains so deeply attached, and and feels that that much of his literary career and scholarly work is indebted to you. Tell me, do, oh, you, yes, yes. do do you feel indebted to to any writers or thinkers or musicians or anyone in particular? Only one that I can think of, and that is, um, uh, well, no, I, that, that's wrong. I, I, I don't think I'm really indebted to anybody. I just I like some writers, you know. And, uh, but I suppose the one that struck me most early, early on as the sort of writer that I thought I might be was King Lake, you know, the Victorian writer King Lake. Yes, I, do, I don't really. So, so can you tell me something so that my, my ignorance, at least there's a palliative to my ignorance? Yes, well, he was an archetypical Victorian gentleman, really. And he, he wasn't even really a traveler, but he did do one journey to the east, to the Middle East, what is now called the Middle East, Arab country, which he called Eosan, meaning out of the east, which he took from Herodotus, I believe. And he said it was the only difficult word in the whole book, was the title, yeah. But I've always loved that book. It's such a mixture of, of um, compassion and fun. It's a very entertaining, very cheerful book. And what is the name of the book again? Eosan, E-O-T-H-E-N. I, I really don't know. I will, I will run out and, and get it. You know, yes. I, I remember speaking... I'm, sure I'm sure it's available over here. It's in paperback. I know because I've done the introduction to it. Oh, well, well, well I, will, I will get it with your, with your introduction and with, with uh, um, the knowledge of how much he matters to you. Is there, is there anyone else in particular? Or are there two or three or four books you go back to now at this time in your life that somehow... With that you, you're indebted to them or not at all, but that give you kind of a renewed sense of pleasure. And I might add, some that maybe you don't feel that for anymore at all. You don't mean my own books, do you? No, I, I mean, well, they could be, but, but any, any really. The, well, the one book I always dip into, I've never read the book all the way through, very, very few people ever have, and that is Doughty's book, Arabia Deserta. 
you know about that? I don't. I don't. And and it's it's ma- it's magnificent. You know, in, in a way, it's magnificent not to know because it, that means that there's something really out there for you to learn. So so I don't. But I but now I now I will. I, I suppose it shows that there's a gulf still between the British and the and the American cultures. I suppose. There's lots of books you, I'm sure, you know that I've never heard of. And there's at least one book you've never heard of. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one book so far. Continue to try me. Tell me, tell me a couple more. I'm just interested. When you, when you, when you wake up in the morning or when you, before you go to sleep, what, what, what books have, have been with you in the last couple of years that, that are meaningful? Whether they influenced you or not doesn't matter. They're just meaningful. Something that that brings, whether it is joy or thought, or thought and joy to you. Yes, well, the one that's done that most consistently through life, really, I tell you, is one that I've never read all the way through. It is Arabia Deserter by Charles Doughty. Gosh, I will, I will, I, I will, I must, I must Please, read. I'm sure, you, yes, you can get him easy enough. I, I, I will try for sure. Do you read poetry? Yes, I do. Mm. And one of your sons is a poet, am I correct? Quite right, yes. Yeah, yes. and he continues to, to write on a, on a daily basis. Uh, he writes in the Welsh language, you know. Yes, so, so it, it's... It's very, very strict rules of Welsh prosody which are very difficult to follow and very hard to follow. They're too difficult for me, really. Are there, are there poets in particular that you that you love? Uh, in the past, you mean? Yes. Yes, I love uh, James Earl Flicker. Goodness me, I, 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 will, I must familiarize myself with him as well. Um, there, there's, there's a lot to, a lot to learn. Tell me, uh, as, you, as you think about your life... Um, is there one moment you feel that were you to live it again, you would have lived it differently? No. So no regrets? <laughs> not really, no. I don't think there is. This is... No, not at all. I, I, I'm not at all surprised, Jan, by your, your answer. I, you know, I often, in moments when I'm not feeling particularly um, well, let's say, I, I think of you and I think that you would, you would um, say, come on, Paul, pull yourself together. And and come on, show me some 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 energy and some joy. Yes, and, I know, exactly. <laughs> isn't, isn't that correct? I mean, I, I feel that the exclamation marks are a form of saying, "Let's be joyous," uh, n- not because, but in spite of everything. Yes, life is sometimes tough, but come on, show me some joy, show me some pleasure. Life is 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 filled with the unexpected, and and there are things of beauty to enjoy. I remember when you invited us to come and see you in Wales. You said we'll go off and there's a wonderful opera uh, company in the summertime, and and we'll go and listen to some beautiful music. <laughs> well, life has been a great pleasure to me, right? I've had a very it doesn't always sound a happy life, I know, but it has been an extremely happy life. 
And also, I have to say, I've been sustained through life in many ways by the old Victorian values. Tell me something. I know that they matter to you tremendously and deeply. Um, how would you characterize those old Victorian values? What, what do they mean? If you could both enumerate them and tell me something about why they matter to you in particular so much. Well, first, I have to say that so many of them, especially as expressed in poetry and in prose, are now laughed at. They're now laughable. But I don't find them laughable. I still find many of them very good. Things like play up, play up, play the game, you know? Do you know that? No. I, I don't. It's very popular. It comes from a poem. Play up and play up and play the game. And it seems to be a good one. The stiff upper lip is a value that I admire, which is now a national joke over here. But I think it's a very good. Meaning, meaning uh, toughen up. And, uh, right, yes. Yeah. Smiling is another one. I like that one very much. All those old-fashioned, simple virtues. Which one was the last one? Keep smiling. Smile, keep smiling. And then, you know, I don't know if it's a Victorian uh, a precept at all, but I, I, I often think of you as someone who has given strength, power, and resolve, and shown that it's anything but weak. Your, your, your thoughts, and I would nearly call it a philosophy because it really imbues the way you see and think about the world and understand it, which is truly a the, the way in which you believe strongly in the virtues of kindness. Absolutely, I believe in the religion of kindness. The religion of kindness. I, I, I'm getting, I, I think you've actually written that. Yes, I have. Would you like to read something about it? I would love it. I would lo you know, Jan, to my mind, that passage on kindness, I mean, there are so many in your work, but there's one in particular which I imagine you might find, is deeply important to me. It, it, it nearly makes me, um, well, it, 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 I have a very strong reaction to it, and I think as I grow older, I'm thinking that kindness is perhaps, if not the answer, at least part of the way in which we answer the question of what it means for us to be here. It's one we can all understand, isn't it, is one reason. There's no mumbo-jumbo attached to it. That's right. Do read it, and tell us what, from where you're reading. Well, I've got a book I called, on, uh, called The World, which was a sort of summing up, and somewhere there towards the end of the thing. Yeah, here we are. Sorry to keep you. Are you still there? I am definitely here. I'm, I'm, as it were, all ears. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Please. As I get old, I realize more clearly than ever that to the ultimate question, what's it all about? There is not and never will be an answer. The truest and most brilliant brains down the centuries have fudged the issue with various species of mumbo-jumbo. From high masses and Peters to witch doctors prancing spells. The best we can do, I think, is to ignore the conundrum as we move from one age to another. And to my mind, there need be only one commandment to help us cope. Be kind. This plain injunction embraces the highest teachings of all the religions. 
flexible enough to allow for free will and human frailty. It is at the core of it, solid as granite, firm as St. Peter's rock, mysterious as the black stone of the Kaaba, simple as Stonehenge, organic as the Buddha's Bodhi tree, authoritative as any mosaic law. Kindness, it seems to me, is the one principle that can see us through, a rule of life so straightforward that we all know what it means and need no theologians to explain it for us. I love it. I, I really love it, and I'm really, I'm really grateful to you for having read it. I know that there's an, there's an English psychoanalyst who you may know, Adam Phillips, who has written also very beautifully about, about kindness, and in particular about kindness not being a weak quality. I, I believe that particularly um, it is viewed weak because it isn't, It's viewed weak because it isn't masculine in some way. And if there's any way in which one might think of kindness differently, it's to to go back to the root of the world, which means to be of kin. Yes. You know, to in some way have have deep uh, deep empathy. Yes. It never occurred to me that it wasn't strong. I thought kindness is very strong. Well, it's it's very strong. It's also what permits us to be to be vulnerable. Are there are there are there particular writers you feel uh, or thinkers or poets who embody this religion of kindness, who make you, who sort of corroborate this view you have, or perhaps certain places you have been in where you you recognize that that virtue. Well, there's a particular poem. It does. There's a... I didn't know we were talking about this, so I haven't got it with me. It doesn't matter, but tell me what it is. Well, it's a poem by James O. Flecker, whom uh, I mentioned before. Yes. Hang on a minute. Take your time. Yes. I've got, actually, a book called Women That Make Grown... Poems That Make Grown Women Cry. Do you know this anthology? I, I have not, but uh, again, after my phone call with you, Jan, I have three, if not four, if not five books to get. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, well, I love that, you know. I'm, I'm a man of appetite, so I love the notion... Evidently, yes. Yeah, I love the, I love the notion that the, the search for newness and goodness is never over. Yeah, of course. Hmm. Anyways, here I am, almost here. I've got to put the telephone down for a moment because please, I need Please, please, take your time to find it. Here I am. Absolutely. Anyway, it's only a little poem. Oh, I'm so glad you're reading it. And I'm so glad that we got to hear you read yourself and now you're reading someone else who you admire. I think that's always wonderful. Well, here's this one then. A limit who had lost her way sang on a blackened bough in hell. Then all the ghosts remembered well the trees, the wind, the golden day. At last they knew that they had died when they heard music in that land and someone there stole forth a hand to draw a brother to his side. Wow, it's beautiful. Isn't it good? It's beautiful. I will will ask... 
the people who will post this this phone call at the literary hub to find it and to to have it there so that people not only hear you say it which is w tremendous but also to read it i did that with with clive james when i spoke with him he read his beautiful poem called japanese maple and people got to to read it and and really understand what it is that that he was trying to express this is gorgeous it really really is gorgeous i'm very glad that you that you read it um jan do you i know that you you have a or or at least in in pleasures of a tangled life you have an aversion or had an aversion for going to concerts in public you liked them little and you loved more listening to music in private do do you do you still feel that way and if so what are you listening to if you are listening to something oh well it's just funny you should say that as a matter of fact because i do listen to a lot of records you know L long playing records yes yes mostly yes and what are you listening to well this is something quite different i've just got off my seat to where all my records are and the biggest thing is Huge pile of Beethoven. What of Beethoven? Everything. It's the whole thing. It's concerts and theatre music and sonatas. The whole shoot is here, really. And, uh, and On top of that is a record by a, a singer called David Lloyd, who is Welsh. And he um, he died uh, not very long ago. But in the course of he writes popular music, or he did write very popular music, although he was an opera singer too. But he uh, he recorded a, a, a record I've always loved called Pale Hands I Love. Does this mean anything to you? Uh, it means nothing to me, and I'm 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 wondering if uh, we might do something a little bit strange. Is is while we speak, if you if you're able to put on that record and to listen yes. to and to listen to maybe one minute, you you put the receiver next to it. I know it will be a bit strange on a phone call to do that. You know, a record like this, which is maybe fairly crackly. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, um, I I like the notion, by the way, that that. Um, unlike uh, CDs or unlike Spotify or these services, the records actually show vulnerability and age. They age with us. We too, as we grow older, begin to crack. Yes, I agree. Sometimes I curse about the records cracking. I must say. I, well, of course we do because we 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 don't want we don't want the the pleasure to be interrupted that way. But it also shows us that. We've listened to it and loved it many times. And I remember when I used to listen to long playing records more, I still do, but not enough. I would know when the record would skip or when, and, and I would nearly look forward to it, though not, not really, of course, but I, 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 it, it became part of the music of that time. Yes. Well, the record is on now. Okay, uh, play, play, play a minute of it. Well, there'll be another song or two first, I think. Okay. I'll tell you when it begins. <laughs> well, you know that one? Yes. 
Is that you whistling? Yes, I love. Were you li- were you whistling? Oh yes, sorry. I I, I I think that's magnificent. I'm, I'm going to make it jump now because there's one other song before the one that I want to play. Please do. Are you ready? I am absolutely ready. Okay, I'll jump one. Okay, I'm I'm sta- I'm standing by. Right in a moment. You're still there. Yes. Good. Now. Oh, my God. 
You know what I think is particularly um You know what I think, uh, what what struck me about the last song, uh, quite apart from the, the deep emotion, is, is, is a return again and again to the word farewell. No, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's a sad song. It is a sad song. But I'll tell you why it means something to me. Yeah, well, that that is, of course, what I'm asking. Yes, I'm going to turn the thing off now. Funny noise is happening. It's fine. Player. I, I love it. I feel like I can nearly that see thing it. Because, a, because, of course, it's an imperial song, as a matter of fact. It's about, it's about an Indian. It's about a, uh, a British soldier, which he was back in India. With the pale hands, Chalimar. But also, it is sung in a very Welsh way by a particularly Welsh kind of singer, who is... Uh, Sort of sentimental, but it's nevertheless technically very good, isn't he? Obviously, very good. I mean, an incredibly good voice. Yes, a very, very, very distinguished opera singer. But uh, when he says "home," this is him, and that is for me is very much Wales. That particular song with that uh, sort of current air of sorrow, isn't there? And yet, it's a happy thing. To, that's why I like the thing. And you know, you 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 wrote such a beautiful book. On, on on Wales and on the virtues of smallness. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's so interesting for someone who has had such an expansive life to write about a small place. You do. Uh, I, I like it because, uh, especially here in this part of Wales, really, because we know everybody, you know, everybody around us are not actually related to me, but I feel they are. They're all friends of of ours. Is there a place, Jan, at this point in life that you haven't visited that you would love to visit? Yes, I never got really into Tibet. I got to the borders of Tibet, but I never went to Lhasa. I've always wanted to do. Maybe it's still possible. I don't think it's impossible now. It's much easier than it used to be, isn't it? You can take a train there now. Well, you know, Jan, I, I, I have this fantasy not only of coming to visit you in Wales, but also of of hoping that we can again one day have a public conversation somewhere, perhaps in New York. You know, your your beloved Manhattan, for all its changing, and it's changed so much since the, the, the year you came was in the late, late 1940s or 50s. It's changed so dramatically, but I'd yes. I'd love for you to to come back and and grace us. Well, invite me over. Then. I, I I will I will I will do that. I will do that for sure. Now, oh, is, it's really is, lovely. Tell, I'd love one last visit. Tell me something. Is is a is a preposthumous book still going to appear someday? Posthumously, yes. Mm. I've added things along the, over the years. 
yes, it's still coming out. It's called allegorizing. Yes, I know that much. And I, I, I mean, for, for the people who are eavesdropping on our phone call, Jan has written a book that is complete called Allegorizing, and that will appear after Jan is not here anymore. And it's, I think you must be the first writer to have done that willfully. I wonder, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I know that uh, that that Muzil, who you speak about so beautifully in, in Trieste and the Meaning of Nowhere, wrote a book called Preposthumous Work. But, of course, that was more of a joke than anything else and was very, had a very different kind of feeling. Uh, a, a, a final question for you, which maybe not a final one, but maybe a sense from you since you've, you've had a, a completely full and vibrant life. And I wonder how you feel about the, the most recent poll of Brexit in, in England. I was terribly upset by it. Although, I have to say that years ago, I wrote a book for the Outriders, which was a, I yes. did it for the Liberal Party. Yes. In those days, it was powerful, and which I was a member. And it postulated Britain starting afresh, altogether afresh, separate from Europe, looking always outwards, largely to its old uh, colonies, but also to the rest of the world and striking out an auto-different island course on the flank of Europe, of course, because it has to be, but not within Europe. Later I changed about that, and I thought times had changed, and the whole nature of nationality had changed, and that our obvious closest relatives really are just across the water here in Europe. Because, you know, I know you, ad you admire the, the English Empire, and you admire you admire England and its queen and and the the role England has played, but somehow I'm not surprised to to hear you say that that brexit um, uh, disturbed you and i I was you know I was thinking to myself, is there not a better time for children around the world and for everybody really around the world to remember john don's poem, which I'm sure you know where he says, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Yes, well, I, I absolutely agree with him now. Much of fact, I wouldn't write that book again, but I did at that time. Yes, but we change. We change and... I love, and I love the romance of the British history, which is a wonderful, wonderful story. Yes, I know, and you've written about it in, in, a, in a tremendous novel. And so I think that to, to some extent it's, it's important to you, but, but things have changed. Yes, I recognize they've changed. Of course I do. And that's why I was upset at breaking the... Well, I haven't broken it yet, but weakening the, the relations with, with Europe, of course. I would, nearly everybody I know... Jan, Jan, in 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 closing, and and perhaps yes, perhaps no. Is there something else of yourself that you would like to read? Well, uh, I, I I've got two things that I thought you might like me to read. I I would love it. 
I would love it. Uh, what, I, what I feel like saying, I feel like saying nearly goodbye to you, Jan, and then saying, hello, let's listen to your voice reading some of your work. I will say goodbye when you're over, but I just wanted to say, what a, what a pleasure, Jan. I, I, uh, Thank you. I, I, I love talking to you and, and just know that I, I think of you very, very often, speak about you very often, and, uh, and miss you tremendously. How kind of you. Well, let's meet in New York. Let, uh, uh, next year in New York, as I used to say about Jerusalem. Yes, that's right. Please. Mm. I've done Venice. I, I've said farewell to Venice. And then I, I'd like to say farewell to New York. Yes, absolutely. Well, you want a piece? I, I, I've got two pieces here. Read them both. Sure? Are you sure? I am sure. Okay, then. There we go. The first one is about... It comes at the beginning of my book about Venice years ago. And it is... It tells... It travels into Venice in the company of somebody in a small boat. I'm listening. And I'm looking. Hang on. He sees in front of him... At last, a city. It's very old and very grand and bent-backed. Its towers survey the lagoon in crotchety splendor, some leading one way, some another. Its skyline is elaborate with campanilis, domes, pinnacles, cranes, riggings, television arrows, crenellations, eccentric chimneys, and a big red grain ellie. Later, there are glimpses of flags and fretted rooftops, marble pillars, cavernous canals. An incessant bustle of boats passes before the quays of the place. A great white liner slips towards its port, a multitude of tottering palaces, brooding and monstrous, presses towards its waterfront, like so many invalid aristocrats jostling for fresh air. It's a gnarled but gorgeous city, and as the boat approaches through the last church-crowned islands, and a jet fighter screams splendidly out of the sun, though the whole scene seems to shimmer with pinkness, with age, with self-satisfaction, with sadness, with delight. The gazer stows away his charts and puts on a straw hat when he's reached that paragon among landfalls. That is. Well, that was that one. I love that. That's the beginning... Hmm? It's a very beginning. It's a, yes, it is, yes, of the book. That's true. The other one is very different, but much shorter, you'll be glad to hear. But it is long ago. It's about Trieste. And this time it's purely personal. And is it in the in the book on Trieste? Yes, it is. Oh, oh, oh read it read it slowly. I love, I love that book. Long ago... I was going out through the door of the Albergo Savoia Excelsior when a man simultaneously entered. We bumped into one another. Our bags and luggage got mixed up and we both apologized. He was a theatrical-looking character with a camel coat slung over his shoulders, perhaps one of the opera singers from the Teatro Verdi who habitually stay in that hotel. When we had disentangled ourselves, he stood there for a moment, 
motionless. Where are you from? He said. Wales. Wales. How wonderful. Oh, you splendid liar. I thought to myself, you've never heard of the place. There was a pause. I laughed, and so did he. He shook my hand in both of his. We lingered for a moment and parted. And when I think of Trieste, love and lust, I often think of him. Love and lust. Jan. <laughs> Jan, Jan, Jan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Was it really all right? I am, I am, are you asking me if I'm all right? No, I was asking if this was all right. If this was all right, this was, this was a, a sliver of pleasure. Ah, oh, thank you. I send you a huge hug. <laughs> thank you very much. A huge hug, and, and I, I, I feel like something in me calls me to come and knock on your door. Well, come on over. All right, and you come on over here. We'll, we'll cross this little pond and find each other. <laughs> That'd be lovely, Paul. Thank you very a, much. A huge hug and be well. Take care of your precious self. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. See you soon. Bye-bye. A The Other People with Brad Listy podcast is a free weekly program featuring in-depth, inappropriate interviews with today's leading authors. You can hear me in conversation with everybody from George Saunders to Cheryl Stray to Hilton Niles, Susan Orlean, Roxanne Gay, Jonathan Franz, and Maggie Nelson, Brett Easton Ellis, Otessa Moshveg, and many more. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and the entire archive is available for free. That's hundreds of conversations with great writers, uncensored. Go get it. Visit otherppl.com. And follow the show on Twitter at OtherPPL.